Okay, we are live on LinkedIn. I am joined by my friends and the co-founder of OG, Alex Stark. So Alex, let's get right into it. Give us a background on how you started OG, um, how you've managed to stand out in a saturated industry as well. Sure. Hey, Adam, thanks for having me on here. So OG is a luxury certified organic skincare company. And I started with myself and two other people. Uh, one came from a, a luxury fashion background. He owned a, a fashion company before. So he had the design eye and branding really nailed down and also business sense from that. And my other partner and brother actually ha had worked at a contract manufacturer for skincare for 12 years, developing some of the formulas for some of the biggest skincare companies in the world. And I had a strong operations and logistics background. So we kind of combined our knowledges and said, and said, let's start a skincare company. But the trend with skincare is clean beauty, but not just because it's been said that up to 60% of what you put onto your skin is absorbed into your body. And like with the food trends, everybody's going towards organics and sees the importance of it. And it's catching up with skincare. And so there's a lot of trickery in the skincare industry. People are saying their products are clean and healthy, but they're not. So we wanted a product that's certified organic, certified to be safe, and also a product that's effective and with a luxury design. Because a lot of the organic products out there have this kind of, you know, brown, neutral, hippie-ish granola type color schemes, yeah. and they smell like patchouli and they don't work well. So we wanted to get luxury positioning competing mm -hmm. with luxury synthetic brands that also are effective and feel as good as these like chemical brands that might be doing long-term damage to your body. Interesting. Yeah, I, can, I completely understand what you're saying as well about the um, luxury premium type appeal of the products. My mum also works for Ghislaine as well. So uh, well familiar with how many chemicals are in the products. Yeah. Did you actually have a background in e-commerce or was this just a completely new industry for you? It was a completely new industry for me. I came from actually shipping. I drove and managed uh, crews on large cargo ships around the world. So it was a hundred totally different, but that's been a cool experience with this is that you can completely change what you're doing and, and become good at it. Like if you just put the time in, you know, it, it took time to learn Shopify and, digital marketing and all this stuff like but yeah. you can be as good as anyone else in it is if you just put the time in and you have to figure it out and that's kind of like anything with being a business owner and being successful in life in general is like you just keep moving forward like if you don't know how to do something like you just have to figure it out and like it's overwhelming in the beginning with a business like all these things you don't know but then you're like well i just got to figure this out and you find a way to do it and uh so yeah it's been a great learning experience yeah, I remember um, I was looking at Oliver Cookson who started uh, My Protein. Actually, he made a post on LinkedIn the other day and he was saying about just learning how to do everything in those initial first six months so that then you can hire people and train them to do it the way you want to. Exactly. And that was, that was that's been a, something I've learned uh, over and over again is like, I need to know the things at least well enough to know if people we hire yeah. are doing a good job at it in the beginning we didn't know and we had people that were doing digital marketing for us or other areas of business that we're like okay this person's an expert so we just need to go with what they say but then as i learned more i was like wait this person's not doing a good job and and like that that's hit me up multiple times where i get you get uh dazzled with like uh 
their website or, or the clients they've worked with and you're like, well, they're an expert, so I'm going to believe everything they say. But then as you learn more, you realize they're not doing a great job. And so it's been really fundamental to like at least learn enough about each thing that we're hiring people for to know if they're doing a good job or not. Yeah, we'll get into a bit later as well on red flags when hiring uh, freelancers and agencies. I definitely want to pick your brains on that. Did you ever get captured by any pirates when you were on these ships? I actually did. I feel like you might, you might, must know about that. I got two times in West wow. Africa for, so, for ransoms. So West, these are not the classic Somalian pirates then if it's West Africa, right? No, they're not the classic Somali pirates. They were actually our own crew members. So it was more of a mutiny uh, for money. They, they took over the ship two different times to get uh, money from our company. And it happened a second time because the first time we paid them the money. So then <laughs> we fired everyone, of course. But in West Africa, like no one got arrested uh, for this hostage taking. So wow. word then spreads around Angola that this company, all you have to do is hold them hostage with fire axes that are around the ship and they'll give you a lot of money. So I'm not dealing with pirates anymore, but I would say owning a business may be equally as stressful at times as that, to be honest. Not life or death, but it feels like it sometimes. Don't want to go off on a tangent completely, but I think I remember reading somewhere that the capital city of Angola is the most expensive place for an expat to live in the world. Why is that? Because it's all oil and gas there and uh, minerals. And so I think they know that they can charge it because we all have to be there. It is incredibly expensive. I remember like apples there would be like $8 for an apple or something. And like, and you have no choice to pay it. Like if you don't want to pay for the, the $700 a night hotel, like you don't want to see the other option. Like there is no other option. That's it. You're, they have you, they've got you there. They, they can charge you whatever you want. Wow. Seen Pete Peter's, Oh, good friend Peter just left a comment, said you held the crew members hostage and demands the pay rise. I think that's where Alex actually got the um, the money for OG as well. It must have came from these crews. I got him back. Yeah, that's right. I did. Turn <laughs> of events that I don't talk about often. So anyway, going back to OG for a minute. Obviously, it's a very, very saturated industry. How have you managed to gain leverage and at least get the ball rolling in the beginning. It must've been very difficult. Um, we knew we had to have that point of difference. Like I said about, we had to stand behind our values of being certified organic and have something backing us up saying we're safe and we are and effective. And for the branding we had to, we had to, we started the company and honestly, we made a huge pivot in our design and stuff because it wasn't where we wanted it to be or needed it to be, to be in the luxury market. So in the beginning, we knew we needed these point of differences and we just got started with it. I think that's what you need to need to do is just get started somewhere and be willing to make quick pivots. If you see that like those points of difference aren't there enough or they're not strong enough. So, we did that and we like early on we were on a different a custom website platform and we realized that hey this isn't this isn't working this is like we want to be a, a e-commerce business that sells skincare like a, we want to be a digital technology company like we can't be we need to be using the cutting edge software and website tools so 
we kind of started, we just got started, which I think you need to do, but then we made a lot of quick pivots to get to where we are. That probably leads us nicely onto the next question, which is obviously you're on Shopify now. Was this a transition because you started off on, did you say a custom coded solution and then you realized that you needed a better alternative? Yeah, big time. We got talked into, like I said, that's the problem when you start a company is trusting everybody who, who you think is an expert. And they talked us into this custom platform and it was a nightmare. Like it took forever to build it. Nothing worked correctly. Every time you needed to add a simple feature, it took months and a ton of money and it still didn't work correctly. Where with Shopify, like they've thought of all those things and if yeah. you something else, like you just add like a $10 a month app and it handles it. Where if you have a totally custom site on a custom platform, like it, if you need some special button, it, it's going to cost you thousands of dollars and take like months and then it's not going to work correctly. So Shopify integrates with every and Shopify integrates with everything out there, like fulfillment centers, like all these things we didn't think of in the beginning, Clavio, like all these things you totally need, like Shopify is built for that. It integrates with everything. Yeah. I think I was speaking to, um, Ronak, who's the CEO of Obvi last week. And I think that in a nutshell, Shopify just makes it easy to sell, which is why I think it's consolidated as the market leads of e-commerce. Yeah, it's, it has all the things you need. And they've also like done a ton of split testing and, and conversion rate optimization already. So like their checkout, like they've tested that, over, you know, billions of dollars have gone through their checkout and they've run a lot of conversion rate optimization things. So you can kind of just trust that that's best practice, how they have it with a lot of things. Where if you do a totally custom site, you're just making a bunch of educated or maybe uneducated guesses of what you think is best. Yeah, definitely. That's true. Have you looked into Shopify Plus at all and considered it the investment? We are on Shopify Plus, actually. Oh. I think um, it has some good features, some really good features, actually, that we utilize. Um, but I think a big thing is that when you're if you're doing a lot of e-commerce business, like an hour of downtime is a lot of money, like especially during busy times of the year. And then Shopify plus support is really good. Like if you need someone 24 hours a day, like they're going to help you much faster than Shopify regular support. So if you factor in how much more quickly they can alleviate downtime, like the, the expense of Shopify plus doesn't seem that great. And also their credit card processing fees, I think are less, which makes up for a lot of the costs as well. So I do recommend Shopify plus, once you get over a certain revenue number, I would, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously guys, if you have any questions, if anyone's watching, just throw them in and me and Alex will answer them or Alex, I suppose. Um, Samuel says, yes. Yeah, so happy that we started on Shopify. Uh, sticking on the subject of Shopify for a moment and obviously talking about expenses and plugins and apps, it can spiral out of control if it's not um kept under a tight leash and obviously making sure that you get an roi and you don't get carried away is crucial like what are some of the core plugins and apps that you have for your store that you couldn't live without and what do you recommend as well to new people who might get a bit carried away what are the core functional plugins that you need so that you should focus on yeah that is a that's a good point we got totally carried away in the beginning with Shopify because it's so easy to add these apps and a lot of them are free or it's so inexpensive, but they, 
you need to make sure you really need that app and that you've chosen the right one because they do slow your site down and they can cause problems just adding in apps. So um, basically over, we started with way more apps than we have now. Like we basically like Hannah from my team is on here and she manages our whole website now. And, and like she's many times we've pared down the apps we've had and cleaned it up because, and then erase, you have to erase the code as well that they leave behind because otherwise they'll continue to slow our site down. Yeah. So it's really crucial to not, just add a bunch of apps because it's really it, it looks they look cool and it and it seems fun to do it but it's a bad idea so i would say the core apps like you need to have an upsell cross-sell app we use nasto which is really good that does yeah. uh, ai powered upsells and cross-sells like uh, in the floating shopping cart or the flyout cart and across our website they put in different carousels and that has worked really well and it has really good analytics on on it. Um, it's an expensive app, but there's other ones that do similar stuff to that, um, that do upsell, cross-sell. So that's a key one for sure. Mm -hmm. um, a loyalty program, which Hannah on my team also manages that completely and has done a great job with that. Um, we use Swell, which has a lot of customization options. Again, that's a more expensive app, but uh, I would definitely recommend a loyalty app of some kind uh, a review app is crucial obviously you people need to see the the star ratings of the products and see people talking about the products so that is crucial i think i think those three a uh, cross-sell upsell app loyalty uh star review app like those are the absolute yeah tabs for sure and then outside of that i would add them others very carefully. I mean, obviously you need like the plugins like Klaviyo and, and those types for the external software as you're working with. Yeah. Charlotte's got a good question actually. And I've seen um, this asked a lot recently in some conversations. So at which point in revenue would you look a plus? Well, I guess I would do it on two factors. I can't quite remember like the difference in pricing, but I would look at the difference in uh, credit card processing fees for Shopify Plus versus Shopify and see at what point it makes sense just based on the credit card fees where Shopify Plus is then a better value because of the money it's saving you. And then the other part I would look at is how much an average 24 hours of downtime would cost you and say like, okay, if, if Shopify Plus can save us 24 hours of downtime for every three months or every six months or whatever, then factor that into the decision as well. Interesting, interesting. Let's um, talk a little bit about marketing strategies. I know you do a lot of Facebook ads. Um, give us like an overview of all the stuff that you have going on, what's been most effective and also, what's been least effective as well, which you which you hadn't put so much time into? Yeah, um, well, what's been most effective for sure with Facebook ads is running ads to cold traffic. So when we say Facebook, we're talking about Facebook and Instagram ads. They're all controlled by the Facebook business manager platform. But um, running ads to cold traffic. Yeah that lead them to like a pre-sell page essentially, or a blog type page that kind of warms up the people that haven't heard of your brand to the product you're selling them with, where you can give them more information because 
the goal of an ad is to look relevant and then bring them to your website. But a lot of times the problem with that, if they've never heard of the brand or the product, you bring them to a product page, which you can't put enough information on, where if you bring them to like a, a landing, a pre-sale landing page, you can give them a lot more information, a lot more facts about the product, customer testimonials, PR testimonials. Uh, yeah. So I, the landing page was huge. The landing page in between the product page was a, a game changer for us. And um, I think what, what I wish I didn't put so much time is with Facebook and Instagram ads, you see a lot of noise of, of a lot of gurus out there saying like, you got to try this, you got to do this. Like don't optimize for conversions, optimize for traffic and, and you won't get the return today, but in six months you'll have all these people in your funnel. But like that's all these like crazy guru tactics, like almost the majority don't work and you'll just spend a lot of money a lot of time and they'll post screenshots and stuff sometimes, but like you have to filter out a lot of noise and advertise yeah. and know the people. Like if you're in Facebook group talking about ads, they can be really helpful, but you need to know the people in those groups that have good information and know who to like listen to and then ignore everything else. We'll come on to that again and towards the end of this um, live, because I want to talk to you about red flags with gurus and freelancers and agencies as well. Um, this is a good question, actually, just to, to go off and back to Shopify before we move on from that. Is there any disadvantages with Shopify? Because I know we can fall into the trap of just raving about it, but there is some disadvantages as well, right? I think, yeah, I think a disadvantage would be if your site looks like every other site out there. But and that was, you know, when we got sold a custom platform early on, part of it was like, that you can't customize your shop by site, which isn't true at all. Like we use rainy city marketing and they transferred our site from this custom platform to Shopify and made it look very custom, made it look like beautiful. They did a great job with it. And so we got the custom looking site still on Shopify. So like, you just don't want to use the most generic out of the box thing that every other Shopify site that uses a generic out of the box theme looks like, which is easy. Yeah to achieve that. So that, I'd say that would be the main disadvantage is if your site looks like everyone else. But to be honest, like Shopify, that was like one of the best decisions we made for OG early on. Like I can't recommend highly enough switching to Shopify and also to tell you how many problems it's gonna save you from. Like yeah, Fulfillment Center, all these things, if you don't have Shopify, for sure the one site platform they will integrate with is Shopify. Yeah. Like, Everything else, it might not, and you'll have to pay a lot of money to connect that with other services or platforms if it's not Shopify. Yeah, I suppose it's the market leader for a reason. Again, it just goes back to simplicity and just keeping things simple and not trying to reinvent the wheel all the time. Samuel, yeah, it's, like the the of a, it's like the Apple of websites. Like they, like, yeah. it's like this one piece of thing that just works really well and they've like and finessed it to be great. I agree, completely agree. Um, Alex, what social media platform have you had the most success with driving traffic and sales to your website? Well, for paid advertising, definitely Facebook and Instagram ads. We've tried everything else, you know, Snapchat, Pinterest, Twitter, TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. And for paid traffic, nothing as compared to Facebook and Instagram ads. I like I want something else, too, because I want to diversify like ad spending away from Facebook and Instagram. But for sure, nothing can do it as well as, as Facebook and Instagram ads right now. I do think that TikTok has a huge potential. We're actually putting a lot of um, time and effort into 
getting more organic reach on like TikTok specifically and, and reaching out to, to influencers and people uh, to try our products and post about us. Um, so organically, I think TikTok has huge potential and organic reach like on our Instagram, our, our Instagram looks really good and we've gotten a lot of good influencers and people sharing about our products on Instagram. So I think organically Instagram has been the best for us. And I think TikTok will be really big for us. Are you not worried at all about, um, obviously, that there seems to be a lot rising on Facebook and Instagram ads, and it is a powerful lever for your business, but do you not worry that you might become too dependent on them as well? Well, yeah, I am worried about that, um, which is why, like, you know, just this morning, I was working hard on doing more lead generation campaigns on Facebook, because email has been the one that has, like, stayed the test of time. Like, it's, like, Email is still like hugely, hugely powerful. Yeah, to your, to your, to your success. Uh, and a big part of Facebook and Instagram ads is they wouldn't work like at a profitable level if people don't have the whole digital ecosystem in place. Like, which yeah, part of that is is email. Like, because they won't buy the first time, but then you have them on your email list because they signed up on a pop up yeah. on your site, and we get them to buy twenty days later because our emails are good. So. I'm trying to generate as many good emails. You have to be careful not just to get a lot of garbage emails from um, lead gen, but to build our email list and, and SMS list as well. SMS is, is doing really well for us. And we only started building that out earlier this year. Yeah. So to do, to do different strategies, to get more people in your list, because you then like own that person's email address or phone number where Facebook and Instagram ads, if someone changes, like California is always, strict with privacy laws and they're cracking down on tracking of people. And the reason Facebook works so well is because they can track you really, really well on the internet. And yeah. so to try to acquire as many pieces of customer information that you can, so it's not all just owned by Facebook and Instagram is our goal. And, um, but I do think like, no matter what, if Facebook and Instagram goes, stops working as well, like something will replace it. Like before, yeah. Facebook and Instagram, it was more Google, you know, that was like the thing, like Google ads, which we still do Google ads, but you can't drive as much cold traffic like you can with Facebook. Yeah. So people are still gonna need to buy and they're gonna need to get your ads somewhere. So we're always just trying to be on like, that's why I've tried, I'll try any platform because yeah. I wanna make sure we're on like the cutting edge and on the the upside of the next big wave in marketing. Definitely, I think you, you the danger is for at least some of the people that we work with, they look at channels individually and they get sucked into um, isolating the data and only looking at it through one lens where, like you said, it is an ecosystem and you have to consider like the lifetime value. Yeah, you purchase that data from Facebook. It might not have been massively profitable, but you've got a new customer through the door. They try your products, they tell their friends about it, word of mouth. And then also you're able to remarket them in a much more cost efficient way as well. Yeah, that 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 was actually another huge thing is like this blended return on ad spend, you know, and not just looking at Facebook in a bubble, not just looking at Google in a bubble, not just looking at email in a bubble. Like they're all working together and they're all uh, lying to you in a sense as well. Like they all tell you what their return on ad spend is and like we realized with Snapchat and Pinterest, they say you have an amazing return on ad spend, but they're just stealing the attribution of, of sales from Facebook ads and, and email. Yeah. And so like tracking your numbers really closely and 
and comparing them to one source of truth, like Google Analytics for, for Snapchat ads, Pinterest ads, Facebook ads to make sure that what they're telling you is true. Like Facebook, funny enough, underreports the return on ad spend where every other platform overreports it heavily. And so tracking your numbers to get a blended return on ad spend across all advertising spend versus all website and Amazon sales, if you're on Amazon too. Um, and knowing like what, if Facebook's your main advertising channel, what return on ad spend you need in Facebook to be profitable. And knowing that whatever Facebook telling you for the return on spend isn't a true re ROAS, but knowing what you need, like regardless if it's true or false to scale. Yeah, definitely. It's funny actually that lights came through. You look like the second coming of Jesus. I know, I feel like the second coming of Jesus. Hold on one second. You, you must have been taking the OG skincare products all of a sudden halfway through. It's true. That's that's what OG will do. That's the one takeaway I really want people to pull from this live chat is that you should go and immediately buy OG from OG.com and you'll uh, be the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. You've, you've just lost that glow now that you've taken the top of the place. <laughs> Going back to um, marketing strategies, so we talked about some of the good things that obviously have worked well for you. Do you ever feel as though there's any missed opportunities? Recently, I've spoke to a couple of e-commerce owners who've said they've wished they would have put more emphasis into things like SEO, even though it's a long-term play. They feel as though if they would have started at the beginning, that might have started to pay off now. How do you feel about that? Well... With SEO specifically, we were really focused on that in the beginning. And the same thing, like I said before, there's a lot of gurus out there that want to charge a lot of money for SEO. And SEO is really tricky because you can't tell if what they're doing is actually helping for a long time. So yeah. at least with Facebook ads, you can see like, all right, I spent $100, like I got sales from it. But SEO is like, all right, pay me a lot of money to consult for you. And then maybe six months down the road, you'll see something happening and you won't know if it was because of us. But so I haven't been that folks. I think SEO is, depends more on what niche you're in, like the importance of it. I haven't been that focused on it, honestly. And I, I don't feel it's that important for us, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, I do wish that we'd been more focused on lead generation for emails from the beginning. You know, like we've like Facebook, we're always doing conversion ads, trying to get purchases right away. And you can get leads cheap. And a lot of people aren't doing that anymore because they think it's all about conversion, which is the same I've thought, but now we're um, we're gonna try a lot harder to get email capture and doing that all along because that's like a long, uh, that brings in like lifetime, a lot of revenue if you're adding a lot of new email addresses every day. How, how are you doing that? What ads are you serving to those people? What's the incentive to opt in? We're doing a giveaway and Honestly, like we, we aren't great at it, but I keep hearing people that I know in the e-com space that are doing really well with it. And we've kind of tried it a little bit, but haven't put enough focus in it. So that is a short term goal to really get this going for us and doing a giveaway, like saying on the ad that sign up to uh, win $500 in free products. Um, and the ad then brings them to a landing page where they enter their email and phone number for SMS. Um, so that's the incentive for them to sign up. And then once a month we do a drawing to out of those people to give the products away and then yeah. the next, just keep it kind of ongoing. To, what to about the, the quality of those leads? Because one thing I've noticed, this might be quite interesting to you is when we lead in on the websites with a pop-up, 
if we go with 10% off the leads always tends to uh, there's a very high return in terms of person that goes through to purchase and also engage with the emails when we've run the sweepstakes it generates a lot of leads sometimes much more than the um, arbitrary discount off the first order but they're also less likely to convert and also take up storage space inside the account and become unengaged very quickly with the emails. Like, how do you, do you have a plan to mitigate that or is it still being monitored at the moment? It's gonna be monitored and try to use the best audiences to show the, the ads to, to try to get the best people. But that we did it on a small scale a long time ago. And that is kind of what happened. We got a lot of low quality leads. So the goal is to track it more closely and segment these people out to see what what they're actually buying from us. Um, and so I think to do really good targeting with ads to get the people on the list and then also to really keep a close track of the people that sign up because I think we didn't track them well enough. So it was like hard to say scientifically what they actually yeah. did. What about things like quizzes for skincare consultations and stuff like that? We've thought about that a lot and Hannah on my team would love to hear you saying that because she's wanted to do quizzes for a while and I do think they're a good idea and that could be a really good idea to incorporate into the lead generation to to um kind of put them through this quiz to qualify them more yeah I think um Beard Brands is one that does quizzes quite heavily on their homepage. I've seen some brands do it and not really pull it off. It's just like very generic and cookie cutter, the quiz. And then I've seen others that you can tell they've really probably invested a lot of money into it as well. And it's a key part of the funnel, at least on the, the front end acquisition front. Yeah, that's like if we do it, that's the hard thing with, I guess, owning any company is like there's so many different things you can do and put your time and energy into and, and like we want to do everything really well and not do it like mediocre. So it's like, yeah, deciding where to put your energy into. Like, I love the quizzes, but we have a small team. I have a really good team of people, but we're like small and it's hard to, it's hard to do everything. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, we touched base on it in the beginning. We mentioned like gurus um, being burnt by agencies and freelancers, unfortunately, like what are the red flags that you should look out for immediately? Well, I would say that big agencies in general have never worked for us. Like mm -hmm. the big, the bigger, more famous agencies for digital advertising, for email marketing, like they charge the highest prices and you get the lowest quality work. But the problem is with the really big agencies, they look so good on the outside. They're all their marketing is like really sexy and they they have the biggest brand you've heard of. And you're like, oh my God, they're doing Nike. Like they've got to be great. But I will say any company that's doing this a massive, like some of the biggest brands in the world, what that means is they're going to pay no attention to you and devote all their energy to that big brand that they're advertising to you with. Um, and so with these big, like I just am really down on big agencies, to be honest, like they, they bring you in because they look so good on the outside and then they assign to your account, like someone who has very little experience yeah. doing it. Um, We've had much better luck with small agencies and and using your intuition like with the founders of the agency like you with your email marketing like getting to know the people that run the agency and that actually will be spending time with it because they're a small agency and they still work with the clients um 
is the way to and using intuition being like okay i trust this person and i know that he's actually going to spend a lot of time in my account where the big agencies they'll have high level people on the calls to suck you in but then in the end who's actually working on your account is like an intern that doesn't yeah. know what they're selling you unfortunately i have heard that a lot um it's not something again where it goes back to what we were saying before the call that's the business model we're trying to work against and also why we're trying to increase our prices to become more profitable and provide a better managed service because this is just my personal goals. I don't want to manage tons of people and have that stress of the churn of constant revolving door and you know having to hit the sales so hard. I'd rather have really strong relationships with a core group of people who stick with us for the long term. I think that just makes more sense. But different business model completely. I think with services, that is always an issue. The more you want to scale it and grow it, you need to recruit more people. And then the quality of the work becomes diluted and ultimately everyone ends up unhappy but yeah completely different business model altogether yeah i would say that your agency model is like the ideal agency we want to work with like we, we either work with someone like you or try to hire someone in-house to do it because but not big agents like we want someone like you that doesn't want to just churn a ton of new clients every month to bring in more revenue like we want you to we want someone like you that has a limit that charges a premium because they do a good job and that you stay with because they do a good job yeah definitely completely agree let's end things on some like quick fire tactics that people can implement so i'm going to ask you like um, three questions and then just try and be very brief with the answers and hopefully be good value to people who are watching so what are some of the best ways to increase average order volume shipping threshold testing for sure Interesting. Like shipping thresholds uh, and best way that way one one point of that to set it like 15 to 20% above your average order value currently. So if your average order value is $100 now, try setting your free shipping threshold to like 115 or $120. That's great. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say similar. Yep. Uh, best way to increase conversion rates? Go through your website as a customer many times, checking out on mobile, desktop, different browsers and and see anything that feels weird to you with try to do it with fresh eyes, try to get friends to do it with and refund their orders to, uh, cause a lot of times we overlook things that are problematic. Good answer. Um, best way to increase customer lifetime value. Email marketing, customer loyalty program, like a swell email. Yeah. yeah. But email marketing would be number one for sure. Good stuff. Which then you market the loyalty program through email marketing. Yeah, absolutely. That's always key. And we're just going to end on more of a holistic question. So if anyone's watching any e-commerce owners or anyone who wants to cut the teeth new to the game, what advice would you give to people starting out? To use Shopify, like no question, don't get tricked by people. And um, to be careful who you listen to as gurus. Good one. Cool. Well, don't um, trust the gurus with Lamborghinis, I would say. Yeah. So I'll look out for your Instagram ads talk talk yeah. that Lamborghini. <laughs> cool. How how can people contact you, Alex? I know I've been pestering you to get more um, active on LinkedIn. Um they can add me on LinkedIn and I'll uh, try to check LinkedIn more often and respond. 
Cool. Well, I'll leave a tag in the um, comment section on here. So if anyone wants to follow up and pick your brains a little bit further, they can do. But, mate, it's been a pleasure. There's been so much knowledge involved in there. And I'm definitely looking forward to reposting this and sending you some spliced segments so that we can repurpose it and uh, give more people more value. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it a lot. Great. Thanks for having me on, Adam. It's good. Yes, mate. Thanks very much. Yeah.